And let's begin in chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find uh, none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king, and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, uh, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day, and prayed, and gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. Let's go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Will you bow your heads with me? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day, for the many blessings that you poured out on us. We thank you, Lord, for the roof you put over our heads. We thank you, Lord, for the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have to be able to openly gather here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the ability that you've given us, every breath that we draw, right? The ability to be here. Every breath that we draw is a gift from you. Every step a blessing. But Lord, I'm I'm afraid that sometimes we take these things for granted. And above all of this, the greatest gift that's ever been given is you giving your only begotten Son. When you sent Him and you gave Him to die on Calvary's cross, not for any fault found in Him, for there was none. Not for His sins, because He was the only man to to have never known sin. But because of my sins. Because of our sins. He died so that we could be reconciled to you, so that we could be made right with you. That's the greatest gift that's ever been given. And Lord, I'm afraid that sometimes as Christians, we kind of forget and we kind of take it for granted. So Lord, my prayer this morning is every one of us would leave here realizing, knowing, remembering afresh what a sacrifice, what a gift 
What a blessed people that we are. That you've loved us so much that you give and sent Jesus to die for our sins. God, I pray that we would always be a people with, prayer, with, uh, with praise and glory on our lips for you. Because you alone are worthy of it. And Lord, let me pray also this morning that you would just move in our midst in a mighty way. You know our hearts. You know our needs. You know where we stand. You know where we fall short. You know what we're facing. You know what we're going through. There's nothing that is hidden from you. There's nothing that, that is a surprise to you. And my prayer this morning is, is that you would just move in a mighty way in our midst. God, that you would stir us, that you'd draw us near to you. Lord, that you'd convict us of where we fall short, whatever the need is here this morning. And God, if there's any among us who is lost and undone, any who doesn't know you, any who have drifted away, any who have let sin creep in and, and come between them and you, God, let today be the day that you would pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction upon us and not give us any peace until we repent and get things right with you because the most important thing in this life is our relationship relationship with you our walk with you so God I'm asking that you would just help me to get out of the way and that you would be God of this service here this morning and we'll give you every bit of the glory for it Lord move amongst your people in a mighty way stir our hearts Lord and Lord let me ask also for myself I need your help I can't preach without you and I know that so I'm asking that you clear my mind of everything uh, except for your message, uh, your words, your thoughts. Lord, place on my tongue the very words you'd have me uh, to preach here this morning, the very words you'd have me to say this morning. Lord, just help it to flow and roll through and, and, and help me to preach from my spirit to their spirit, Lord God, this morning. God, and forgive me where I fall short. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I heard a uh, story that I wanted to share with you. Um, I don't know whether to call it a cute story or a funny story. Maybe it's a cute, funny story. I don't know. Unless you're the pig in the story, and then it's not very funny or cute. Uh, but anyways, here's how the story goes. A chicken and a pig uh, come across a church building, and they read the advertisement on the sign, right? This is one of them churches that's got a marquee out there by the road or whatever. And so they read what was written, the letters that was on this sign down there by the road, and it simply said this, help us feed the poor. Immediately, the light bulb goes off for the chicken, and the chicken suggests to the pig that they should help feed the poor with bacon and eggs. The pig thought for a minute and said, there's one thing wrong with your idea, chicken. This idea of feeding the poor bacon and eggs. You see, for you, it only requires a contribution. But for me, it requires a total commitment. Think about it. For the pig, it was going to cost him everything. You know, I think about that, and that's what I want to preach to you this morning about, is commitment, right? We look across our land. We look across America today, and look at what's happened in the last few years. If you don't think there's been a, a separating of who's committed and who's not, there sure has been. 
right? Uh, all across America, there are people, right, young and old alike, uh, who are uncommitted. Uh, some uh, may have the appearance of being committed, right? Some may talk the talk. But do they walk the walk, right? That's what I was talking about in the last couple years, right? We have seen the separation between those uh, who just talk the talk uh, and who walk the walk. Uh, Their actions, right? I've always said this. Your actions speak louder than your words, right? You can say all that you want and talk all that you want. But if your actions don't meet your words, then what good uh, are they, right? Uh, What happens is is our half-hearted actions tell of the half-hearted service in the conditional commitment uh, that we have, right? To talk about God uh, would be meaningless without having first walked with Him, without having first walked the walk. So, just what is commitment? Well, first of all, commitment demands that we make a choice. Jesus wasted no time, right? If we go through and we study the Gospels, we see that Jesus, wa- Jesus wasted no time getting to the heart of commitment when he made it clear that it was a choice, right? You might say, what are you talking about, Pastor? What do you mean uh, made it a choice? Well, listen to me. Either the disciples would be committed to him and deny their own desires or they would go their own way and deny him, deny Christ, deny the Lord. The choice to commit is the same to every one of us today, to all believers. Either we deny ourselves or we deny God. Either we go his way or we go our way. The disciples were told they they had to take up their crosses, right? They had to die to themselves daily, take up their crosses daily and follow Christ. They had to make that decision every day. You see, commitment is not just about words. It demands action. Action. That's why I read what I did here in the book of Daniel. I want us to take a look at, a man, at this man named Daniel here from the scriptures. I think there are signs that are found in Daniel's life that point to the kind of commitment that he had. I mean, we can go all the way back to the first chapter, right? We can see Daniel's commitment, right, as a, as a young man, as a youth, right? Maybe 15 or 16 years old, right? And we can see that it continued throughout his entire life, right? I told you in Daniel chapter 1, we can see a young Daniel, right, standing uh, to, choosing to stand up for his convictions, right? He'd done this by refusing to defile himself with the king's food. And then we go all the way here to Daniel chapter 6 where we see a much older Daniel. And we see his commitment, I believe, is even stronger here. I mean, by the time we get to chapter 6, Daniel's well on into the years, right? He's in his 80s by this point. So just think about this whole scenario, right? Think about what this scene, how this looks and what's happening and what's playing out here, right? Okay, so we've got Daniel, 
who was part of the, part of the captives, led out of Jerusalem as a very young man, like 15 years old. He has spent his entire life in Babylon. God has blessed him, right? In the first five chapters, we see stories about how God's hand has been on him, how he's been blessed. Uh, we see, as I've talked about already, his commitment to the Lord, his refusal, refusal uh, to, to, you know, to back up or back down in any way, but to, to, to steadfastly serve the Lord is what I'm trying to say. We get, we see a change of power, change of hands, uh, you know, or in his lifetime, right? We, we see it again here at the end of his life whenever the, the Medes and the Persians come, the Medo-Persian Empire come and they take over. It tells us in the scriptures that I read to you here this morning, now they have this, Cyrus has this, uh, uh, this vast empire, and he sets up, he divides it up into what appears to me is something like 120 districts, right? And he sets these 120, um, what's it called, princes uh, over each of these districts. And then he sets up three men, calls them presidents, to be over that 120 to report to him. The scriptures tells us that the hand of God was on Daniel so strong, right? And we see so much godly wisdom, right? And so much of a godly man and God's favor and his blessings was on him. So much so that here is this man who is not a Mede or a Persian. He's not a Babylonian either. He was a captive, right? Been a captor all of his adult life. But he found so much favor with, actually it says here, Darius the Mede, the ruler of, the, of this vast empire, that he thought about putting Daniel, it was in his thinking, to put Daniel over the entire realm. All of it. Well, as you can imagine, that caused a little bit of jealousy. There was a little bit of problems. These other guys did not like that one little bit, right? You know, uh, the, the enemy of God hates it, right, when, when God's people prosper. It absolutely just kills him. It does, and he absolutely hates it. So anyways, what we see happening here is we see, the, we see a few of these guys it says, when they go to the king, they say, all of the presidents and the princes are in agreement, right, about this crazy order. No, they weren't. Most of them probably didn't even know, right? And the truth is, is a lot of them probably did not care, okay? A lot of these were probably a lot like our politicians today. They weren't particularly religious. They were just particularly concerned with their own, uh, covering their own selves uh, and their own power and their own bellies. And, you know, you get the idea, right? And so anyways, there's just a, probably just a few of them that go to the king and they stroke his ego is what they do. Right? They set him in the position of, of God or mediator between man and God. And they say, Let, we're all in agreement, O king. We think this will be a great idea. For 30 days, nobody makes a petition, a request. Nobody even prays unless they talk to you, right? Unless it's to you and through you. 
And then, if you catch what they do, while he's still all puffed up, before he has any time to think about this, they get him to sign the order right then. Now, the, the law of the Medes and the Persians, once it's signed and, you know, and it's got its seal and its stamp and all that on it, it can't be undone. Now, you might think, well, that seems crazy or ridiculous, but if you'll really think about it, that is, that is one way they, uh, they avoided anybody becoming above the law, right? That way, that way you couldn't just break it and change the law because you broke it and so on and so forth. That's why they did that. So actually, if you think about it, it makes a little bit of sense why they, why they would have that in place, why that would be that way. So anyways, he makes this law, puts it into effect without realizing. I mean, he's still all puffed up, right? They've just come in there and treat him like he's God. And what does Daniel do? Right, that's as far as I went is when it tells us, because that's, got, that's what I'm talking about this morning, is how Daniel reacts to it. Does Daniel run and hide and only pray and worship in secret? Does Daniel say, you know what, 30 days is not a big deal. It's not the end of the world. God understands. Right? Is, is, that, is that what Daniel did? Is that what Daniel said? No, I think if we read that, it says that Daniel didn't change a thing. Daniel went right up to his prayer closet, what I'd call it, his prayer room, right there in his house with the window open, pointed towards Jerusalem, prayed just like he'd always prayed before. Praise God. Now, I didn't read the rest of the story. I don't plan on preaching on the rest of the story. You probably know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is, is Daniel gets arrested, thrown into a den of lions, right? That's, a, that's a probably a hole in the ground or a cave, that, you know, a small cave underground had lions in it. And uh, anyways, they throw Daniel in there and the lions gobbled up Daniel and that's the last we ever heard of him. Anybody sat through Sunday school? <laughs> that's not right. He was arrested, he was thrown in the lion's den, but the Bible says that the angel of the Lord visited him that night and shut the mouth of the lions, right? I like how, you know, Darius, right, once he, Darius the Mede, once he figures out and finds out what has happened, if you were to go on and read the scriptures, he spends all day trying to figure out a way to get Daniel out of this or undo this. He's terribly upset about what had happened and what had, what, what had took place here. And so anyways, uh, whenever he can't figure anything out and these officials come back to him and said, Look, look, king, you know the rules and you're not above the law either. And so this is what it is. So anyways, uh, uh, what does he do? He, he has Daniel arrested, thrown in the lion's den, and basically wishes him the best of luck as he tosses him in there. But he's so upset about it that he can't even, if you go through and you read the rest of this chapter, right, he can't even do any of the normal things that he normally does that night. He is so preoccupied by all this is going on, right? He, does, he can't even eat his bowl of ice cream, can't watch his nightly TV shows, nothing. <laughs> he's so upset. Doesn't sleep that night and he's down there the first thing the next morning. 
Can I say this, and it's got nothing to do with my sermon this morning, but I hadn't really caught this before, but don't we see a type of Christ here, right? Don't we see a picture of the, of the, of the tomb? Don't we see the women that are there at daylight the next morning as soon as they can down there, right? I mean, I just, I never noticed that before, but here's Daniel that should be dead, right? That's in this cave with a rock rolled over and sealed. Doesn't that sound a whole lot like what they did to Jesus? Isn't that a little bit of a type there? And the next morning, right? When he should be dead, he is not. He is alive. There's a little bit of Christ in this story right there. But let's go back. I want to focus on Daniel here this, this morning. Daniel was a man so committed to God. That it didn't matter if it cost him everything. That it didn't matter if it cost him everything. His life, too. You might say, preacher, that's a great story, but what's that got to do with me? Friends, you've got choices to make every day when you get up. Every day you're going to have to decide what level of commitment you got. How far are you willing to go? You're going to serve God the way that he wants you to serve him, even if it's going to cost you If you don't think that that's been tried already, I promise you the time is coming when you will be put fully to the test. So let's look at this. I think there's a few things here that we can bring out real quick that are signs of Daniel's commitment, right? I think we can apply that to us today. I think we can say things like this. People who are committed to God have an excellent spirit. That's what it said in verse 3 about Daniel. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Excellent spirit. This is not the first time this is said about Daniel. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had said it earlier. The queen had said it after that. Belshazzar had said it just previous to this about Daniel. This is something that had been recognized in Daniel over and over. Now, I know that there's some differences in how the Holy Spirit works from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But obviously, this is talking about God's presence, right, being on Daniel, right? Uh, And I know some people attribute this to just Daniel's good character. I think the good character is a result of God's spirit, God's presence being with Daniel. In the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, it tells us to be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. First of all, if we're going to have this kind of level of commitment to God, we are going to have to be a people that is full of the Spirit of God, right? We're going to have to quit playing around. We're going to have to quit dabbling. I'm telling you today, people who are truly committed to God are filled with the Holy Spirit of God and they have the same excellent spirit that Daniel had and it produces the same excellent character that Daniel had we're going to have to stop being filled with the things of this world and start being filled with the things of God with his spirit being more concerned about God and God's service 
and everything connected and having to do with that, the things of God, than we are with our own flesh, our own life, and the things of this world. That goes right along with verse 4, right? In verse 4 it says, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find but they could find none occasion nor a fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. They were looking for a reason to take him down. They were looking for his weakness. They were looking for some little something, right? Some, some, it didn't have to be much, something that they could take and make a mountain out of, right? Something that they could exploit, something that they could use, they could leverage against him, right, in order to take him down. And they couldn't find anything. People who are committed to God live godly lives. Daniel was a type of the person that the scripture calls blameless. Not that he was literally perfect without sin, but he was a person that lived a godly life, right? It wasn't just an act or, or, or a put on that he done on Sundays, right? It wasn't just when he was around certain people. It wasn't even just when he thought other people were around, right, and could see him. It was always 24-7. 365 days a year. It never stopped. It wasn't an act. It wasn't, what's the word, a facade. It was who he was. There was nothing in his life that could bring guilt upon him. Can I ask you a question? Is there anything in your life right now, currently, I'm not meaning to drag up stuff from the past that God has already forgiven you for, Right? Those things are in the past. Leave them back there. Quit looking back at them. But I'm talking about something that you are currently doing. Sin that you are currently engaged in. That people could point to that is immoral. That is contradictory to the word of God, to the scriptures. Someone where somebody could honestly point and cry, hypocrite. If there is, you need to deal with it now. The other thing that's in this verse 4 that is a characteristic of someone who's completely committed to God is that they are faithful, right? It says, for as much as he was faithful there in the middle of verse 4. Faithful means that, first of all, he was full of faith, right? The Bible tells us faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Are you a person who could be described as faithful? Are you full of faith? Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please him. Talking about God, right? Without faith it is impossible to please God. It takes faith to live by the word of God. But that's exactly what Daniel did here, if you look at verse 5, then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. 
What's it talking about, right? It's talking about God's Word, right? The only, the, there was only one problem that, you know, this was the only problem that they were able to find with Daniel. This was the only place where they were going to be able to exploit something, right, to take him down. Daniel would have had at least the first five books of the Old Testament. He would have had the law of Moses, right? He knew it. He would have le- been learning it from a very young age, would have studied the Scripture uh, all of his life, and would be living it out in the end. That right there was the very problem when they couldn't find anything else with him, wrong with him. So what does it mean to live by the word of God? What means to be completely obedient to the word of God? Not just to pick and choose what to obey and when to obey it, right? We're, we're, We're terrible at that if we're not careful. We are really bad about that. We'll pick out, right, there are certain scriptures that we'll pick out. And we want to obey those, so we will obey those. And we'll raise them as a banner for everybody else to see. But then there's others that we just act like we don't even know is there. Listen to me. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Bible decides how we live, right? Not us. God directs our lives through his word. There are so many things, right? Just like Hebrews 10.25, I like to use this one a lot. It says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Right? We're, we're to keep assembling together. And as we see the time nearing, we're not, to, we're not to assemble together less often. We're not to meet together as a congregation and worship and study God's word uh, less often. We're to do it more often. All the time. Not just when we feel like it. That's our problem. So often, right, we just fill God in with the cracks, right? Just when we feel like it. Just when it's convenient. Just when you got nothing else better to do, you can't think of another excuse not to be. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible also says in Acts 1 8, it says, uh, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, unto the uttermost of the part of the earth. That means we're to tell everybody about Jesus everywhere that we go. No holding back, no hanging back. Share the gospel. Share the good news. We're studying in the book of Malachi. One of the ones that people like to ignore uh, that's there in the book of Malachi. Chapter 3, verse 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even the whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house and prove me now wherewith saith the Lord of hosts if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it we got to give God what's his and we're actually robbing God when we keep his part for ourselves listen to me I know none of you None of you would ever dream of sneaking in here and stealing some stuff. Look, there's even, there's even still some thieves out there. 
that wouldn't do that because they would feel like that they're stealing from God. But when you keep your tithes instead of giving them to God, that's exactly what you're doing. You might as well just break in here and rob the place and clean out the offering boxes on your way out. Because what you're doing is the same thing. One more thing here about Daniel, and I'm done. It's verse 10, when it talks about him praying. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, the law was in effect, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he did aforetime. Praying continually in all circumstances. That's what people who are really sold out, who are really committed, that's what they do. They're a people of prayer, right? Daniel knew what the king's order said. Daniel knew what the penalty for breaking the law was. And Daniel prayed anyways. Daniel prayed, and when he heard from God, he was obedient. Prayer is our direct communication to and from God. God can, will, and does still speak to his people today. And people who are committed to God, I know this might sound crazy to you, but they talk to God. People who are actually sold out and committed to God actually have a prayer life and they actually talk to God. You know, one time there was a missionary, this is back in the 1800s, named David Livingston. He was working in Africa. That's where the Lord had sent him, and that's where he was serving. He was in Africa. And there was a group of friends that wrote him. And what they said is they said, we'd like to send some more men, right, to you, to help you. But then they asked the question, have you found a good road into your area? Dr. Livingston responded with the note, if you have men who will only come if there's a good road, then I don't want them. I want men who will come even if there is no road. Men who are committed to the cause and service of Christ. So that's my question to you this morning. Are you committed enough to go where there is no road? Will you respond to God's will when he reveals it to you? Will you obey? Will you be obedient? Where is your level of commitment? Are you only committed if it doesn't cost you anything? And when it comes to the point that it's going to cost you something, is that where your commitment ends? Will you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you a chance to come this morning. The Spirit of God is dealing with you. Would you come this morning? If you've got a need, if you've got a heavy burden, would you come this morning? Right? If you maybe this morning you're sitting there and you realize for the first time that you're not where you ought to be with God. Right? Your heart is not right with Him. Uh, you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Spirit of God does not live, in, live within you. I'm begging you. If you realize that, it's because God is dealing with your heart this morning. So I'm begging you, would you come this morning before it's too late? Would you come? 
Maybe you've got a need. Maybe you've got a burden. Maybe God has placed somebody on your heart that you need to be praying for. Whatever your need is here this morning, don't miss this opportunity. Would you come this morning? Would you come?